Thank you for taking some time to listen to our sermon podcast. Uh, This week, one of our associate ministers, member of our church, Luke, shared a great sermon on John chapter 21, uh, specifically the section involving Jesus and his discourse with the apostle Peter after Peter's denial. And this is a powerful sermon detailing the way that Jesus reconciles even those who have failed him deeply through the power of his grace and through the invitation of discipleship. What we're we're looking at in this story, right, which is amazing, this is how this amazing book of John that is full with miracles and stories of Jesus, he closes with this conversation. And I find that very interesting for us um, because what, what, what we see here, right, is a response to what Peter's maybe biggest failure or biggest falling of his entire life. And here we have Jesus meeting him in that and having a conversation with him in that. And I was thinking of what it looks like when we fall and when we fail. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd. And so if you, yes. if you know Lord of the Rings or you don't, it's okay. I'll explain it. But there's a character in the first movie slash book named Bormir. And Bormir is a knight, and he is given a task to protect Frodo Baggins, who is the ring bearer, right? So he is given the task to protect Frodo in his journey. And yet in a moment of weakness, Bormir takes a, attacks Frodo and tries to take the ring from him. He betrays the very task he was called to. And Frodo gets away, and you can immediately, it falls on Bormir that he has betrayed the one thing that he was actually called to do in that moment. Mm. And I think there's something similar we saw in Peter, right? When he denies Jesus a third time, he immediately recognizes, oh my gosh, what have I just done? Mm. And here's the reality for us tonight, and I think the thing we need to face is that you and I, we will fall short. We have and continue to fall short once we are in Jesus, right? That's the fact that sin has still present in our lives despite knowing Jesus. And so what I want us to look at and the question I want us to ask is how do we become more like Christ when we fail? Hmm. When we fall and fall short in sin, what do we do? And what does Jesus invite us into? And I think we see in this conversation some of that. And, And I think there's three truths for us as we look at that question, as we seek to answer it, that we need to look at. The first is the truth about us as humans. What did I want us to look at what that means. What does it look like for us to be humans? And what are the implications of that that we see in this passage? The second thing is I want us to look at the truth about the God we serve. Who is God? Who is this God that we serve? And what do we see him doing in this passage? And the third thing is what is the truth about us who are now in God, who are in Christ? What is the implications of what is true about God for us? So what's true about us, right? Let's look at this. What's true about us is is the fact that we are all Peters, right? We will all fall short. It's the the thing we call humanity, right? Because way back in the day, there was a guy and girl named Adam and Eve, right, in the garden. And Eve was tempted to take a bite of a fruit that God told her not to eat from. And she took a bite and gave it to Adam. And Adam took that, that fruit and took a bite as well. And since that moment, sin entered into humanity. And sin spread to all of humanity. So the reality for us today is that the presence of sin is real in our lives. Now, 
the power of sin is no longer real, right? For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, right? That is what we celebrated on Easter, is that the power of sin no longer has a hold on us because what Jesus has accomplished, right? The sin that we commit is, is fully borne out on the cross by Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that, that sin is no longer attributed to, or, to us, but the, the reality is the presence of sin still remains. And you and I continue to fall short. And we fall short in big ways and in small ways, right? Here we look at Peter, and he fell short in a pretty big way, right? Where he tells Jesus, hours before, I will not deny you. And then there we see him, just moments later, denying Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And you may have come in tonight feeling like you have fallen short in a big way, right? Maybe you feel like you have been falling short in a big way for a long time, over a repeated pattern of time. Or maybe it's just small ways, a few hours ago, driving over here, that we fall short and the presence of sin is real. I think Paul gives us a really good description of this and really good explanation of what this looks like in the Christian life. Paul, who is uh, the forerunner of the church, the great missionary who writes many of the books of the Bible, who is then a great example for us of what it looks like to follow Jesus, says this in Romans 7, 14, for us. Starting in verse 14, it says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that it is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but the but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I think Dr. Seuss might have written that. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but the truth remains, right? Is that there is still sin, and we we still, even when uh, I think the song Come Thou Found sings us uh, as a beautiful line, um, that our, our hearts are still led astray at times, right? Yeah. When our hearts are prone to wander. And this happens in big ways and in small ways. Sin and temptation exist. And I think this is where we need to recognize this. This is the first truth about us that we need to recognize. But the problem is, is if we just talked about this tonight and we forgot what is true about God, then we won't really take a whole lot away. But you see, is that truth about us is countered by some beautiful truths about the God we serve and about the God we see in this passage. Mm-hmm. The first thing we see about what is true about God is that we serve a redeeming God, Amen. a God whose heart is for redemption, for reconciliation, for restoration. This is the God we serve. You see, Jesus denied three, or Peter denied Jesus three times, and here we see Jesus give Peter the opportunity to be restored. Three times he asked Peter the same question. And one of the interesting details is is the last time Peter denied Jesus was in front of a charcoal fire, and here we see him again in front of a charcoal fire. Jesus restoring Peter. We see him use the same language that he used when he first invited the disciples. Follow me. You see, we serve a God whose heart is for redemption. A God who doesn't desire that the presence of sin remain, but actually that we grow from that. That we grow out of that. That God actually transforms and moves us. That we become more like him. We serve a God whose heart is for redemption. We also serve a gracious God. In Exodus 34, when when, uh, 
God reveals himself uh, to Moses, right? He, he gives this beautiful uh, description of who he is, and it starts by he's God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We serve a God who is full of grace. Romans 5 eight, God shows us love for us and while we are still sinners. Christ died for us. You see, when Jesus went and interacted with Peter, right, he didn't ask Peter, hey, Peter, can you show me the things you've done since, you know, you last denied me and restored yourself? He's like, can you whip out the checklist and show me that you've been reading your Bible for 10 days and that you've shared, uh, shared about me with five of your neighbors and that you've treated your, uh, I don't think, I don't know if he was married, but your spouse well. I don't think he was married, at least at that time. Um, right? He doesn't, he doesn't ask Peter to give this list. All he asks Peter is, hey, Peter, do you love me? See, Peter has nothing to offer Jesus in that moment. All Jesus is after is his heart. That's all Peter can do is give is his love. And, and that's all Jesus is looking for, right? And I think that's, we need to recognize that, right? Because I, I'm so inclined to think that I need to do something to restore myself back to God. And yet, all God is asking me is, hey, hey Luke, do, do you love me? Yeah. We serve a good God, a God who has good purposes for his people. Right? That's the next truth. We serve a, redeem, a God whose heart is for redemption. We serve a God who is full of grace. And we also serve a God who has good purposes for his people. Right? God actually designed us to do things. Romans 12, 1 through 2 gives us a really good description of this. When it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, God has purposes for his people. Mm. He purposes for us to be transformed to be made new continually, not to conform, right? Not to return to sin, but actually to be transformed. And Ephesians 1.10 talks about us being created as God's workmanship to do the good works he's prepared for us in advance to do. You see, God, this gracious God, also has good purposes for his people. He has better for us. Yeah. And the final truth about God that we need to recognize is that those good purposes he will carry out. Yeah. Right? Like we know that God is going to accomplish those good purposes which he has started. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion mm. on the day of Christ Jesus. You see, this is, what, this is the God we serve, the God who is redeeming, who desires to, be, to reconcile us back to him. We serve a God who is gracious, who pours out love not because we deserve it, but rather because he loves us and desires better for us. We serve a God who has good purposes, who calls us into better, who has better for us, and a God who will accomplish those purposes, a God who is sovereign, who is in control. And so when we recognize these things that is true about us, that yes, the presence of sin is here, but this is the type of God we serve. There's implications for us in Christ. There's implications for us as God's people. And that big implication for us that I think we see here that Jesus is trying to get uh, to, to communicate to us through this discourse is that we are free to follow him Amen. into the better. Guys, we are free to follow Jesus. We are made new because of what he has accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. 
we are invited into redemption, continually being transformed through faith and repentance, right? Through trusting that, yes, God, you are better. You are the better. And turning from the things that once entangled us. Guys, we are free. Um, one of two things here that I think are really important for us to, to hone in on is, and this is one that I think I could probably spend a whole sermon uh, talking about, is guys that when we receive God's grace, when we do fall short, we are free from guilt and we are free from shame. Yeah. And it is so easy for me to just get caught up and so concerned about all the ways that which I'm falling short. And it's so easy to allow guilt and shame to take over in my heart and allow that to be the thing that controls me. And when I allow that to control me, what I do is either I find false motivations to follow God or I allow that to eat me up inside to the point that I can't even follow Jesus because I'm so ashamed of who I am. And what Jesus has accomplished for us and what Jesus is reminding Peter is like, hey, do you love me? If you love me, like you are made new, you are free. Follow me. You are free from the guilt and the shame. I mean, in that moment, Peter, right, he, the thing I didn't read, but before that, the context, right, Peter, they're out on a boat and, and they recognize Jesus as he's talking to them from the shore. And Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims a hundred yards to shore to meet Jesus. So just imagine them eating breakfast, and here is Peter soaking wet, right, with his 12 best friends around him. And that even says that Peter was so excited he didn't even take the time to put all of his clothes on. He was just wearing whatever he was wearing fishing, right? So he's there, like, barely wearing any clothes. And here's Jesus having this conversation with him, clearly knowing what Peter had just done. Whether or not Peter had told the other disciples, we don't know. Whether or not we, told, he, we knew that, or know that he told them whether or not he... Uh, Denied Jesus. Sorry, my brain froze there for a sec. Or not. But here's Jesus. And he's, I, I, you know, I would think that Peter in that moment probably felt the weight of that, whether it was guilt or shame or not. What Jesus is doing is he's setting Peter free from that. He's saying, Peter, what I'm actually calling you to, right, the language of tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Like Jesus is calling Peter in front of all these disciples, the one who just denied him in a, the biggest moment of his life, to actually go and be the pastor of the original church of God's people, right? Yeah. Like we're about to see that Peter is about to step into the main role of leadership for the entire church. Yeah. And Jesus is saying free from the guilt and the shame that he feels at that moment. So if you walked in with guilt, the feeling of guilt and shame, know that in Christ you have freedom to follow him. The other thing that I think we, we need to recognize that we are free from is freedom from comparison. You see, in this passage, it's really interesting, right? Because it doesn't just end with the three questions, right? And Jesus having that. What, after Jesus asked Peter the three questions and Peter responds and Jesus gives him the encouragement to follow me, right? At, at, in that last encouragement, right, Jesus explains to Peter that, hey, you're going to die this death. And from the context, what we understand is that he's actually telling Peter that, hey, you're going to be killed on my behalf. You're going to be martyred. And in historical uh, records or whatever would tell us that he actually probably was crucified much like Jesus. And some would say he was even crucified upside down. So that must be a shocking thing for Peter to hear, that he is going to die for the sake of Jesus. And after Peter hears that and gets the encouragement to follow me, 
he looks over and sees John and he's like, well, Jesus, what about John? Like, what are you going to do with him? And, and Jesus looks at Peter. And he says, if it's my will that he remain till I come, that's, that's not your, your concern. You follow me. Yeah. And Jesus sets us free from comparison. And we live in a time in our life and in our age that comparison probably is more of a temptation than any other time yeah. in human history, right? Yeah. Because on our phone, we can see what everyone else in the world is up to at any given moment. Yeah. And it is so easy for us to look at what others have and to compare what others are carrying in their life, even other Christians, right? What they might have and compare their lives to ours. And what Jesus invites us into when he says that, hey, following me, when, when Jesus is inviting us to follow him into the better, we can actually trust that he means that. Yeah. Like we can actually trust that he means that, hey, Peter, you follow me. And that he's going to finish the work that he's begun in us. That, that whatever that means, whatever that looks like in our life, even if it doesn't look as good as whoever your influencer is on <laughs> Instagram, right? Like that God actually means that for the better. So God sets us free when we are his people from the feelings of guilt and of shame. And he sets us free from comparison. Yeah. So going back to that original question, how do we become, uh, continue to become like Christ when we fall short, when we sin? What do we do? was Jesus invited us into? And guys, it's really simple. And I think this is an amazing place for us to end the book of John on. Hmm. It's follow Jesus. Yeah. Like that is the invitation that Jesus gives Peter. Follow me. Repent, believe, walk in faith. Follow me. And when Jesus invites us to follow him, I really just think he means he wants, he's after our heart. He's after every part of us the very core of our being. Jesus invites us to follow him into the better. Jesus, Jesus invites us to follow him even when it's costly. You see, following Jesus is likely, sorry if I'm bursting your bubble, it's going to be costly. There's going to be costs associated with it. Whether that cost is letting go of the things that so easily entangle the, the things that can satisfy us in the moment that we know are not of God. And it can also cost, like as Peter, or as Jesus is telling Peter, like there's going to be suffering associated with the Christian life. Like James 1, verse 2 says, Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Guys, we will, in walking with Jesus, meet suffering. This week alone, in my family, and also in my last, the church that I'm coming from, I heard some devastating news uh, from multiple fronts. Hard diagnoses, right, of kids, of, of horrible car accidents that took a life of a teenage teenager some really difficult things and yet in the midst of those things when those things do come because they will come now for some of us they may come a lot harder than others like we can as God's people count it as joy and look to him knowing that hey God like you have laid out a plan that is far better than the one that I could have planned for myself 
we can follow him. We don't have to look at what others have. We can set our eyes on Jesus. Because the moment we take our eyes off Jesus, we begin to put our hope in something else. But in Jesus, we are invited into the better. So in closing, guys, if you walked in tonight feeling like a failure, feeling like you're falling short, and and when I say that, this may be something that you've felt for years, if not decades of your life, that there are parts of your life, whatever that might be, that are holding you back from fully following Jesus because you feel like maybe God can't use you or won't use you. Maybe that you feel like God's disappointed in you. Maybe that you feel like you're too far gone or that that whatever that sin is, is, is too difficult to let go of. I've tried for years and there's things, right, that you may felt that are too hard to let go of. And my, my question is, do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Yeah. Because the answer is yes. If you know him, if he is your Lord, if he is your Savior, if he is your King, then you are free. Amen. You are free to follow him. You are free from guilt, from shame. You are free from the need to look at others and what they have. And just set your eyes on Jesus and know that what he is inviting you into, the life he has called you into, no matter the cost, no matter the suffering that might be associated with it, is the better that he is inviting you to. And in time, guys, here's the beautiful thing, right? This is what we call sanctification. It's this work of God continuing to refine and shape our hearts and make us more like Christ. And it can be painful and it can be hard. But as he does that, we begin to experience freedom and victory from things that once held us down. And we do hopefully begin to look more like Christ to those around us. And we can hold on to the hope that the good work that God has started, he will accomplish that in the end he will make us completely new in his presence and that sin will no longer be present it'll be banished to the lake of fire and we will be with jesus in perfect uh glory worshiping him forever yes that is the hope we have we know that that is coming for us but it begins today right it begins with god beginning to shape and work our hearts today and we can actually begin to experience that God has for us today. We don't have to wait until eternity. Like he can begin that work in us. So much like Jesus restored Peter in this moment, I want you to look and and see where, where God needs to do a work in you. Where God's grace might come bare to rest, that you might hear that you are free, that you might be invited to follow him into the better, into the new for us. If you don't know Jesus, the invitation is the same. The invitation is to follow him, to love him, and you will experience the better life that God has for us, both now and in eternity with him forever. Guys, as we close John, the invitation from Jesus is to follow him. God, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, that you are powerful enough to overcome, overcome our shortcomings. God, that you are not surprised. That you, you, God, you know 
every part of our hearts and lives. You know every moment that we spend on this earth. You know what we are doing, what has happened. And yet, God, we thank you that you choose to love us for your glory, that you died on our behalf. God, that we might experience the life that you offer. God, I pray that the better, the better life that you have invited us into will become more and more real for us. And God, I, I repent of the places in which I haven't allowed you to transform and do a great work. And I pray that you would reveal the more, more places throughout my life, God, that you need to continue to work and shape me. And I pray the same for us as a church, God, for every single person in here. I pray that you'd show us the places of our heart that we may not yet recognize. God, that we are holding on to the things of this world. God, I pray that your grace would overcome those things and that your love would move us into following you. Thank you for how you loved Peter in that moment, Jesus. Thank you for this example you've given us. God, I pray that our eyes will be set on you, that if our eyes are set anywhere else, God, that you would correct them and call them to look to you tonight. We love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray. Amen.